Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for today is from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 11th chapter. My dear friends in Christ, let he who has ears to hear, hear. I always like when Jesus says that because it means we've got to do a little bit of work. We can't just take things right at the face value. We might have to dig a little bit to figure out what's going on. Whether it's a parable or whether it is here with John the baptizer, we must have ears to hear. And usually it's a good idea to start backwards. And so this morning that is what we are going to do. We are going to start with Elijah. Who is Elijah? Elijah is, well, a suffering prophet. He is a persecuted prophet. When he is called, he is eager, but finally it kind of ends up where he's mourning, he's lamenting to God over being the last faithful person in all of Israel. He's the last one out there telling the word of God and Ahab and Jezebel are looking for him to kill him. They're trying to do everything they can to disrupt him. And Elijah, well, there's a lot that happens with him. A lot. But he is still a powerful prophet, not by his power, but by God's own power. God promises to be with him. God promises there is a remnant faithful to him in Israel. There are people yet to hear his word who will repent and be forgiven and come before their God. And that there is a plan for Israel. He has, God has not abandoned them to the likes of Ahab and Jezebel. Elijah is often seen as, well, kind of the summation of the prophets. The world does him violence in such wicked ways and Elijah is called to, by God, a lot of weird stuff. But that's the prophets. They suffered greatly. And Elijah is seen as, well, the fulfillment in many ways of the prophets. And it even is said in the scriptures that Elijah will certainly come and prepare the way of the Lord. In another place, John the baptizer is asked, well, are you Elijah? And he says, no, no, I'm not Elijah. And Jesus here says, if you have faith to accept it, this is Elijah. This is not a contradiction of Scripture. This is, in fact, Jesus telling it how it is and John being properly humble. He says, there's one coming after me whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. How then could he even say of himself, yes, of course I'm Elijah. You should be paying attention. And so that makes sense. Then, right before this, Jesus talks about the violence. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I think it's been a long, longer time than since just John the Baptist came on the scene. But what Jesus is pointing out here 
is the violence that John was receiving himself. This is, in some ways, what makes him to be the Elijah who comes to prepare the way of the Lord. The violence, of course, that we know he received is not just the mocking and the jeering of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's probably even violence from people against the weirdo wearing camel's hair and eating locusts and wild honey. On top of that, it finally culminated in the very time when Herod has his stepdaughter dancing for him at a large party, and he gets so excited by that dancing that he offers her up to half his kingdom. And when Salome then goes to her mother Herodias and asks, what should I ask for? She says, the head of John the Baptist on a platter. John had criticized Herod and Herodias for their marriage. It is not lawful for a man to take his brother's wife. And yet Herod did. And Herodias was upset. You get the picture that this was a constant warning. This wasn't just a one-off. This was a, hey guys, Herod and Herodias, when you see them next, tell them this is wrong. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Herodias, upset at this, demanded the death of John the Baptist. And so Herod took John, who was in prison, and beheaded him. So it happened not long after this text here. Think about the violence it took to get John into prison at this point. Think about the violence that he suffered even in prison. And it's true, it's not just physical violence that upsets the kingdom of God, but it is even the attacks of the world upon our flesh, whether it is by tempting us into sin or, well, actually even just attacking us with the things of this world. Sickness and grief and sadness and even death. And John, or Jesus tells about John being the greatest person ever to be born of woman. It's a wonderful thing to see who John the baptizer is in the eyes of God. And yet Jesus says, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the baptizer. What's going on here? Why is Jesus going into all of this? Why is he saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear? Because he is trying to teach the people gathered there about something special. And that something special is that the Lord, the Messiah, who was prophesied from of old to come and save their people from their sins, is now standing before them. If Ezekiel has finally, excuse me, if Elijah has finally come, and he prepares the way before the Lord, then the Lord must now be here because the time is done. And so this pericope picks up with John suffering in prison and telling his disciples to go and ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Now, this is an odd question in light of the idea that John is the Elijah who was to come. John had spoken with God. Jesus tells us he is the last Old Testament prophet. Prophets hear from God. 
John knew who he was. And John heard from God that this Jesus is indeed the Messiah. So why ask the question? There are two theories. One is that John was encouraging his disciples to go and figure this out. Is Jesus the Messiah that they've been waiting for? And to leave John the baptizer to be in prison and go and follow after Jesus. And that's a valid thing. I think that's reading a lot into the text, but it's not an invalid supposition. Another one, and I think people don't like this one because it paints John the baptizer in a less than healthy light, a less than perfect light, is perhaps in this moment John the baptizer is doubting. And we don't like that question because we imagine that the prophets are good. And especially John the baptizer being the cousin of Jesus, well, you just can't imagine that he would be doubting Jesus, would you? And yet it is that John still, surprisingly, is a human being, a sinner, someone whose faith is always struggling against his sinful flesh. Now, I don't know which one, which theory is actually true whether he's sending his disciples to follow after Jesus or whether John is, well, doubting a little bit there in prison. Either way you get to it, Jesus answers the question. That's the important thing. And this should remind us, too, that even should we be doubting, even should we be suffering, Our Jesus yet has an answer for us. He is not leaving us alone. He's not leaving us in our doubt. He tells his disciples or the disciples of John to go and tell John what they hear and what they see. It's an invitation from Jesus to these disciples of John. And it's an invitation of Jesus to you. To hear and see what he will do. The blind receive their sight. And the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. These are the works of the Messiah. And yet, did you notice what was going on here? I heard this week that one of my first heroes, Bob from Sesame Street, died. Very sad. But if Sesame Street taught me anything, it was this. One of these things is not like the others. One of these things just doesn't belong. Can you tell which one of these things is not like the others? The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. What is different here? Which one stands out? Well, to me, the first are miracles, what we normally count As miracles, the supernatural inbreaking of God into this natural world to take what is there and turn it around. Because blind people don't see. 
and lame people don't walk, and lepers are unclean, and deaf people don't hear, and dead people don't live. But here, Jesus tacks on. The poor have good news preached to them. And those poor who have the good news preached to them, Jesus doesn't outright say this. But this is what the scriptures point to. Is this is the greatest miracle out of all of these. Because by hearing, faith comes. And the one then who has faith in this Messiah is blessed. For he is not offended by God. In this way, another way to say this is, he will not deny his Lord. And to those who will not deny but confess their Lord, the Lord also will not deny them but confess their name before his Father in heaven. Jesus gives this list of the works of the Messiah to remind John and to remind the disciples of John and to remind you that you are the recipients of the greatest miracle that can occur. The taking of your hard-hearted flesh and turning it into something that is able to receive God's mercy, His grace, His peace. God's word has acted on you in such a way that it has given to you faith to believe. It has given you faith to see that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. This prophet that everyone has gone out into the wilderness to see. This man who's preaching strong sermons. The man who will not break when the winds of the world come against him. He's nothing compared to the one whose way he is preparing. John the baptizer, Elijah, any of us are nothing compared to the Messiah. And yet Jesus plainly says, he who believes, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist, greater than the one who prepares the way. It's not because of a lack of faith that John is put at a lower position even than you. But it is because you believe by hearing the word. John believes by hearing the word of the God spoken directly to him. And you believe because that very word continues to come to you, echoing down out of 2,000 years of history of the New Testament and at least 4,000 years of that which is the Old Testament. It comes to you. And you grasp onto it, and you believe it, and you hold it, and you find in that word the very Christ who came for you, to die for you, to forgive you your sins. Yes, it's true, you're a sinner. Yes, it's true that you are going to suffer in this world. Yes, it is true that the world will come at you with all that it has. And yes, it is true that even you yourself will betray your Lord in sin. But it is also true that the Messiah has come. He has come. And now, he waits to come again. You see, 
We are recipients of John the baptizer's faith. Not that he has given us what was his own, but that he has given us what was God's and what has been passed to you. And as you now look at this prophet who languished in prison, who suffered violence even unto death, we too, having the same faith, can expect the same result, and yet still have no fear. For if this is what was done to the prophets and the word of God, then we have every expectation it will happen also to us. And if it was done to the prophets and to the word of God and both have proved to be vindicated in the death and the resurrection of Christ, then you too shall also be vindicated where you shall rise from the dead. When our Lord returns from the right hand of the Father to rule over his kingdom upon this earth, you shall be raised up out of the ground and you shall live forever with John. John is sometimes pictured as carrying his own head. I don't know if that's really what he's going to look like in the resurrection, but if it is, you're going to know him immediately, won't you? The marks of this world, perhaps we bear more of them than we think into the resurrection. Not in such a way that it grieves us, but in such a way that it comforts us. For we see how God has worked even through the trials and tribulations of this time, in this place, we see how God will overcome them, how he will vindicate them, how he will raise us from the dead to lord over our enemies and to show that Jesus is the Messiah that we have been waiting for all of this time. It might be that Jesus' words today are hard to understand It may be that it is difficult to figure out exactly what God is doing in Elijah, what he's doing in John the baptizer. But it is clear to understand that he has called you by the gospel. He has called you by faith. He has called you who are poor in spirit to hear his word, the very good news of Christ crucified for you. And in this calling, He has saved you, not just now, but into eternity itself, in which we shall rejoice forever with John, with his disciples, and with our Lord face to face, a time of rejoicing that never shall end. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.